Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, and here we are, two weeks after Brexit, and still things are very exciting. I'm joined today by Bradley Gerard, news editor. How are you doing, Bradley? I'm good, John. Thank you. Apart from my fingertips, I had my first guitar lesson last night, and um, yeah, obviously, obviously, I'm a bit soft. Well, I hope that won't affect your performance on the podcast. Not at all. Good. Jonas Crosland, how are you, Jonas? I'm very well, thanks. Been a mad week in property. Nuts. Nuts. Absolutely. How are you feeling? Nuts. Exhausted. Confused. Because. Confused. Yeah, aren't we all? And uh, Megan Boxall, how are you, Megan? Yeah, very well, thank you. And you've written the cover feature. Yes, this week. yeah, first one for me. So. Is it your first cover feature? It is, yeah. Wow, it's a good one. Oh, thanks. It's a good one. It's about biotechnology. Actually, that was a sector that we were a bit worried about in the wake of Brexit, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. With reason, with reason, but... As... University funding, yeah. mainly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But, uh, well, but it... I still think it's a very exciting sector. It um, is a very exciting sector. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah, and uh, rightly I'm so, sure as, we, as, we, as we discussed in, uh, in the feature. So, yeah. right, let's crack on with... The main news of this week. Bradley, let's start. I mean, I guess the biggest news of the week, let's start with that, is property. Absolutely, yeah. Difficult to ignore it, really. Um, so the biggest sort of fallout, I suppose, from Brexit in terms of a retail investment standpoint was the fact that this week, um, like Domino's, um, open-ended property funds started um, closing to transactions. So investors within those are currently unable to sell or even people who aren't invested and are unable to buy as well. And that's the case in about six funds, I believe. Yeah, I mean, it seems that the uh, the domino effect seemed to be uh, in full effect yesterday. Yeah, I mean, standard, so it life, with standard life. Standard life went first on Monday, I think it was, and then on Tuesday you had Aviva, M and G join the party, and yesterday Threadneedle, Canada Life, and Henderson jumped aboard as well. And what they've basically done is they've temporarily suspended anyone buying or selling the funds. So I said, and, and the reason they've done that, they're saying, is because they've had a, quite a few redemptions. That started to eat into the cash buffer they keep to enable them to deal with day-to-day redemptions, just ordinary ins and outs. And they were obviously worried about that cash buffer. Uh, I think all of them, I think Jonas would be back me up here, they've all also reduced the value technically of their sort of portfolios as well, which is, you know, very quick, one might say. Yeah, well, we had a letter, didn't we, from, mm. uh, from a reader on this, and uh, a reader called Joan Slang. And we suspect this may be a pseudonym <laughs> because obviously there is a, a very well-known property uh, advisory firm called Jones Lang LaSalle. So we, we suspect this is from someone who is within the industry. But what they had to say was quite interesting, particularly on the valuation thing. So if they've reduced the value of those property portfolios, on what basis was the question this guy was asking? Guy? Girl? Joan? Who knows? Who knows? It's a Jonas, question, well, I mean, what, what do you think? Well, normally revaluate or valuations are every quarter, but after Brexit, they've been doing them every week. But it's an entirely uh, subjective valuation because it's not based on anything apart from sentiment. What would it usually be based on? Transactions? Transactions and the actual value of the assets. Mm. They've just said, well, the market's bad, so we're going to downgrade our valuations by 5% on, on the basis that the market's uncertain, which is quite strange really but it, but it, essentially that, that that revaluation means nothing we have nothing to go on no. to support that valuation exactly so when will we start to see valuations that become a little bit more reliable september third quarter right okay so so there's nothing really to suggest that the value of the properties within the funds we're talking about has actually fallen substantially. It's the fear factor, and you can say that's wrong or you can say it's right, but often, obviously, fear is a fear is a reaction, and fear often comes before rational thought. So mm. it seems to be that fear has trumped here. Um, so, what, but what's the fear? 
well, the fear is that, yes, you know, we're going to hell in a handbasket because of Brexit. We'll have no access to the single market. Employment will fall. But how, how does, but how does that affect UK property? I mean, I mean, Janice, you must have a view on this. Well, the, the, yeah, it's a broad church. Uh, well, yeah. this is another point that Joan Slang makes. Yeah. It's a broad, property is a broad church. So, But let's talk at the, at the most generic level, an office in London. Okay, well, offices in London, um, the financial services comprise or take up 16% of the offices in London, well outpaced by the tech boys who are invading um, the northern parts of London. So they're assuming that 50,000 or maybe 70,000 jobs go in London, but the supply-demand imbalance is so huge that that would still make uh, rents sustainable, even if vacancy levels went up to 8%. Right, so even if there was an exodus, either a job cut related exodus or firms just upping and leaving London, the, the, the fundamentals are still okay. Yeah, I mean, if you if you sort of raise above all the sort of the hyperbole in the press, you you realise that the one key factor is economic growth. If the economy goes into recession, then all these fears will be justified. If it bumps along the bottom at say one one and a half percent GDP every year albeit lower than it would be if we were still in, there isn't really much cause for concern. Okay, but okay, so that's an interesting point because the recession risk has definitely increased this yeah, week. And also, you know, even the most ardent Brexiteer would agree that the recession risk this week is higher than it was three weeks ago. Potentially so, yeah. I, I guess, I mean, the point... The point being with property as well and these property funds, they're not just investing in London. I mean, London's quite a resilient economy. And as Jonas quite, quite rightly points out, yes, if we have a slashing in the numbers of people employed in financial services, there are lots of other industries, predominantly tech, probably willing to take up the slack. The problem is on a national level. And actually, I spoke to um, David Coombs, who's head of multi-asset at Rathbones. And he um, he had been selling down commercial property slowly anyhow, but in March he actually got rid of all his all exposure to it, um, on the view that what had happened is so much cash had gone into these funds. What started to happen is they had started to build the amount of what he describes as secondary assets into their portfolios, so yep. assets in smaller towns and cities, arguably a bit more cyclical, a bit more sensitive to declines in the economic cycle. I mean, that's quite interesting because, you know, I mean, you know, London, let's, I mean, let's turn to house, housing for a minute. London's seen the worst of, of property pricing for, you know, the last six months a year. Uh, the region st- st- still seems to be doing okay. So a secondary asset in the region is actually, you know, not necessarily as terrible as it sounds, potentially. Quite possibly, yeah. I mean, I, 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 yeah, it's, an in, it's, it's just such an interesting sector. And I guess the as Jonas says, I mean, we, we we need a few more months, really, post-Brexit to properly understand what's going on with property prices, because at the moment, it is just fear-led. And this uh, this move by several fund groups is a potentially sensible reaction, because obviously, if you're an investor in the fund, and you're getting hammered, because lots of people are piling out, that can be damaging to the value of your portfolio. So it's a sensible um, action that's been taken, and the FCA approves it. But I think what is interesting is that Aberdeen and LNG today, have taken a slightly different move 
And what they've done is they've they've reduced the value of their portfolio. But they're not preventing people buying or selling. But, you, but they will charge you a big, well, if, big old premium. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you're selling, you're going to lose about 17% of the 17%. value. 17%. That's at Aberdeen, and I think LNG is 15 So it's disincentivizing selling, absolutely. But if if one does sell, then obviously you're, you're bearing the cost on behalf of the other that other investors would otherwise be paying. So I think actually that, that might be a good move because it might get investors to reappraise whether they really want to sell. It might allow them to sit back and just think for a little while, okay, people are worried about this, but um, as many people say, and, and Jonas will, will say this as well, you know, a big, big part of property returns are the, is the income, the rental mm. income. And this is what Joan Slang exactly. says as well. And also these these these... Um, big boxes out in the regions or offices in London, you know, they often come with quite long um, you know, tenancy contracts. I mean, for for a tenant to just up and leave mm. would be extremely expensive. Yeah, I think this is a case of the tail wagging the dog. Uh, property values themselves haven't been devalued, but the the open ended investment companies are devaluing their asset values simply to address the um, outflow in funds. Yeah, I mean, you know, this this actually which I mentioned in my editorial, raises the question of whether open-ended vehicles are suitable for property. And I think this is what a lot of people are talking about as well, that, that it, actually this very nature of these open-ended funds where you have to meet redemptions from your assets is problematic in the case of property, which are quite illiquid. Absolutely. I mean, and, and the FCA has actually um, said yesterday, I think it's going to be talking to the asset managers about this bit late, maybe. Maybe we should have thought about this before. Well, it was quite obvious before. And I think it's something that a lot well, of people have been before. saying for years. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 happened, happened, it's happened before. It happened, what, seven, eight years ago. Yeah. This were gated. They couldn't get out of these funds. Obviously, back then, as we as we kind of suggest in our new spotlight piece, which is part of the reason why we're talking about this so much, is that this is not the crisis. You know, property companies are not as highly geared as they were before. The economy, you know, you can argue that economic growth is going to slow a bit post-Brexit, but you know, we're not in a recession yet. And while there are predictions that we might hit one, that's not, not there's not a certainty that's the case. So uh, the situation, the the environment is not the same as the crisis, albeit the reaction to Brexit, you know, and well, the the gating of property funds mirrors what happened in the crisis. I think it'll be interesting because the fund groups have given themselves effectively a month now. Normally they sort of look at it every week the valuation they're mm. going to do it every month so in a month's time maybe we'll see if there's a semblance of sense returning to the market or if not these gates will obviously remain shut yeah i noticed this morning actually that a property shares had bounced a little so your real estate investment trust which have also been hit heavily. i mean yeah real estate investment trust property companies have been massively hit and actually you know i think it's numis who said that the brokerage firm said that you know if there are any investment uh, real estate investment trusts out there on sort of twenty percent discounts as a result of this fear. That's very interesting as an investment. I mean, Jonas, it is mm. your sector. What's your view? So, I mean, you know, land securities obviously at the, the bigger end of the sector, but there's lots of different property companies there. What, what's what's your take on this? I mean, it, are we seeing value opportunities emerging? Yeah, I think it's time to be selective. Uh, Great Portland Estates issued a trading statement recent or today actually, and they pointed out that one they're concentrated on the West End. They don't have any financial tenants. The supply and demand in the West End is huge, or the imbalance is huge, because most of the properties are listed, Mm -hmm. so there's only a limited amount of supply. I was speaking to an estate agent, which is obviously on the residential side, and his phone's been off the hook for overseas investors asking to buy property between one and two million in prime central London, simply because 
if you take the depreciation in values and sterling, they're buying property at 25% less than they were two years ago. And for them, it's a no-brainer. So, so this is a weak pound effect? Yep. But also the fact that the UK, uh, certainly in terms of its property, has not lost its safe haven st- status. No, shouldn't do, no. No. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, we, we you're going to be looking at this in, in next week's issue, not mm. this one, but house building. I mean, obviously yeah, yeah. that's been in the eye of the storm. I guess similar, similar arguments still apply. Absolutely right. The return on equity is probably going to ease a little bit, especially if house prices fall, but the basic fundamentals are still intact. There's a huge supply-demand imbalance. The government's certainly not going to backtrack. It's got help to buy. Bank reserve requirements are, are going to free up 150 billion quid, so the, the mortgages are still going to be there. Interest rates arguably are going to fall to nothing. or Which also 100%. supports the commercial property valuations exactly. as well. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I, I'm, I'm sort of rather thinking that the, the post-Brexit reaction has tarred the, the market with the same brush. Mm. Um, mm. and, and I think as, uh, as uh, Joan Slang I love that name <laughs> I do hope it's uh, if it was a real name I would love it even more but I yeah. do suspect it's a pseudonym she talks about um, you know that, that actually you know there's different types of property that, that offer different prospects anyway so, so they talk about distribution warehouses which, which is a secular trend in, in e-commerce growth yeah, exactly right. Um, so yeah. Tritex Big Box being yeah. for a great example of that. Uh, London and Metric, click and collect. Um, it's, it's a change in consumer habits. <clears throat> the other two uh, key subsectors are student accommodation and new medical centres, which neither of which will be remotely affected by whether we're in or out, simply because only about 5% of all students come from the EU. The rest of them come from very rich countries with very rich fathers. You know, Hong Kong, Russia, China, etc. Mm. And, and they're coming to university in the UK is a little mm. bit cheaper than it was for those guys as exactly. well. Exactly. So they're bulletproof to some extent. Bulletproof. Mm. Bold claim, Jonas. Bold <laughs> claim. I, I guess the point, the real point is that, you know, not all property is created equal. Um, we're seeing these this kind of blanket panic, but but actually there's there's a great opportunity to pick up the, the baby that's been thrown out with the bathwater here. I think so. I think that's, you know, a, a bit of property in your portfolio is no bad thing. I mean, a lot of advisors kind of would not suggest having a too big a slug because the chances are, if you're an investor, you're probably a homeowner as well. So you're almost, you're geared into the property market that way. But a small amount of property exposure is probably good. And if you aren't in the market, there are some, you know, some good property listed property investment companies um, and REITs on very large discounts. Mm. And I mean, you know, if you look at some of the property funds, I mean, you could, you know, getting into the Aberdeen and the LNG open ended funds could be a bit cheaper now to buy into. Except we prefer the investment trusts, of course. We do, of course, because we could for, for, find, for various reasons. Well, for the, for the very reason Maybe. that we're talking about, <laughs> that in <laughs> years to come, you could find yourself gated in this fund, whereas investment trust, obviously, that can't happen. So, yeah, it could be a good time to snap up um, a bit more property or some property if you don't have any in your portfolio. Yeah, I mean, I, I must admit, I went and looked at what we'd recommended in our top 100 funds, and we've got about Probably you know, a good half dozen, perhaps a little, you know, a little bit more property recommendations there. Pretty much all of them, except one, are investment trusts. Now it's showing why that is our view on, on how to invest in property through collective vehicles. Absolutely. There you go. Fantastic. So there is a panic, of course. Can't ignore the panic, but we're not necessarily unduly concerned ourselves. I don't think so. I think, as uh, you know, Jonas points out, various sort of supply-demand imbalances. I think. On balance, you know, there's still a rational reason to invest in property. 
the big the big if and it's and if this happens then obviously the facts have changed and the case might change is recession but mm. we're not there yet and if we are in a recession then you know there are lots of other things to worry about as well I mean, actually there is i mean this is actually i i when i write my editorial i kind of you know things get put on the page and then they disappear when i run out of space but you know one thing i, I it does strike me that you know it's often talks about how the uk is doing so much better than europe and i do wonder how much of that is driven by the strength of our property markets and actually when you withdraw the, the the crush of the property market we're pretty much the same as everyone else that that is that does trouble me we are very dependent as an economy on property yeah and i think our our, our psyche as well is quite dependent mm. on it if, mm. if our property values are going up and we you know pretty sure that we'd get this for our house or flat now if we sold it that kind of adds a bit of buoyancy to your kind of view about consuming i i think well, it's, a, it's a guess but i would suggest that's probably a truism to a degree Okay, Bradley, what, what else have we got before we move on to the uh, to the cover feature? Well, I guess, I mean, we talked about interest rates earlier. Um, the, the chances now of um, us moving sort of downward in the interest rates uh, spectrum is increasing heavily. I think I read this morning, something like 86% chance now the market is baking in of there being a rate cut. And it was not that long ago that we were sort of all talking about a potential rise in the US. One, definitely, most people were saying. Two, maybe. Not us. Not us, no people. I said people. Um, (laughs) People out there that we can blame. You know, there was a bit more bullishness about rate rises, Mm. but now that's certainly come off the boil and there's a a heavy chance that we get a cut in the UK, um, which will have, you know, a supporting impact, I suppose, on the economy, on housing, on consumer sentiment. Yeah. Just to throw away on on the house builders, uh, Persimmon, who have virtually no exposure within the M25 this year's went down 40% after the uh, the vote but they've got a a guaranteed dividend up till 2021 which is pretty exciting uh, 7 or 8% after the share price fall uh, there are obviously questions about whether they can maintain that dividend but Mike but you Lauren, say it's guaranteed it's guaranteed and Mike Lauren, the uh, finance director pointed it out to me that um, they've got six and a half years of supply if they didn't buy any new land for the next 18 months, they'd free up over a billion pounds. So even if the market goes completely against them, they just they just get their cash machine? Yeah. 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 But then you might see some erosion in the share price. So, I mean, you've got that's what you've got to balance it out against, I guess. Well, they're 40% off already. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, so, so yeah, long, lower for longer. I guess that's what, what the message is here. And Brexit has kind of added some, some impetus to that. Yep. But then, you know... Interest rates are—they've become a global phenomenon. So you know, I guess we're all kind of into every economy is now intertwined in in, in sort of monetary policy. Um, and you know, I'm 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 reading now that actually the the concerns are, are around global growth, and it's really, it really seems really hard to blame Brexit for a big slowdown around the world. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what are we six percent of the global economy or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we were influential, but you know, yeah, I think sixth largest economy now after France, thanks to the uh, currency fall. But yeah, surely not enough to have exert that kind of impact on global growth, and that is what is keeping interest rates low. Well, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, and and there are also sort of. Um, I suppose domestic problems within different economies. I mean, Japan, you know, still continues to fight inflation. The eurozone, you know, things are starting to improve there. But then you've got sort of niggles, if I can call them that, like you know, the Italian Italian banking sector, which um, could be a really big niggle if which uh, we'll be looking, which we'll be looking at again next week. Yes, it's it's, um, becoming, uh, it's certainly becoming sort of, or moving forwards in terms of where it's um, its presence is in the 
financial press and well, you, it's you, becoming a big issue. And you mentioned South Korea in relation to Port Mar- Marion, but yeah. you know South Korea was was a, a global stock market darling a while back, and it's been it's been having all sorts of troubles recently. Isn't, yeah, a bit economy. of a slowdown, a bit of a sentiment thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, the, that's not Brexit's fault. It's not Brexit's fault, no. And I think a lot of the things aren't Brexit's fault, a- apart from sentiment. Mm. It's just you know it's sentiment, and I guess if you. If investors feel spooked, then what you see is that now it's something ridiculous like $7.5 trillion of um, global government debt is yielding negative. Wow. Which is just incredible. Well, if you'd have bought gold, like we said a few weeks ago, you'd be all right, wouldn't you? <laughs> be laughing. Um, before we move on to the cover feature, let's, I mean, this has been quite gloomy so far, really. I mean, there's been some positive messages amongst the property fallout, but yeah. there is one good news story this week, isn't there, which is Melrose, which is a company we've, we've kind of liked for a while. But this is a good news story. First big M&A deal post, uh, post-Brexit. Mm. Uh, you know, suggests business as usual in some respects. Yeah, I mean, these uh, the guys at Melrose have um, kind of... You know, they're championed quite a bit by the FT. There's been some good coverage of this company by the paper in um, recent years, and and us, and us as well, and us. I know. Well, we've we've already alluded to our coverage here. They're, like they're, this for a long time. <laughs> their their buy, improve, and sell strategy is, um, you know, sounds very simple. It's probably actually quite difficult to do in practice, but they've done it very well. They're about to buy a company called Nortec, which manufactures various things, including um, like security solutions and um, air management quality solutions and they're actually having to raise you know raise money to do this for a rights issue which ordinarily knocks shares but actually the the shares rose yesterday because people are just so certain about Melrose's ability to buy this massive company and get out of it the best potential that's there and um yeah it's it's quite remarkable really and I think it's um a stock that we kind of um, as you say, have covered for a while, supported for quite a long time, and and rightly so. I mean, they 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 really are an example of just doing what they say they're going to do. Good management, absolutely. Yeah, the power of management. Okay, I mean, there's loads more news this week, but I mean, yeah, there's a lot more. Uh, we'd be here all day if we we went through. We would it. be. Yeah, there's some other good stuff in the in the news section as well. Some some Brexit related stuff and some non Brexit related stuff too. Plenty of Brexit related stuff in the magazine this week. Let's turn to the cover feature, Megan. So you were very worried post-Brexit, in fact, and pre-Brexit as well. Uh, but and, and when we wrote our feature, probably a month before the referendum, about what the potential in- impact would be, university and science funding was an area that we were particularly worried about yeah, that, that potentially faced a massive hit because a lot of money was coming over from the EU into UK universities and science. So Yeah, yeah a lot of money is or was. Or is, well, no, still, still is, is, still is. Still is, um, still is for, well, I think they've said at least two years. But yeah, a lot of money coming from the EU. Uh, they've got lots of grants um, which are being given to a lot of universities mm-hmm. mainly mainly universities that really do benefit and in terms of science yeah brexit is not not ideal and i did actually speak to a company this morning um renewron whose results were today who were yeah saying as well they're not going to be hit too hard but they were saying that it is a real shame for for science saying that i think it's still a great great market well it's um, a great sector it is a great sector yeah. um but the, i guess the One of the points of the feature is that the UK biotech industry, the UK listed biotech sector, has never delivered in quite the same way that the US Mm, uh, biotech sector has. Yeah, I kind of start off the feature talking about Amgen, which is uh, the US big biotech success, having raised $42 million when it listed um, in 1983. It now has a market capitalisation of $122 billion. That's extraordinary. Its success has been incredible, and that is partly based well mainly based on the fact it's just its growth story has been based on that science it's been managed very well and it's 
kind of followed that biotech boom which has happened in America. It's led that biotech boom. And it's been joined up there as well by another company, Gilead. Um, Gilead's had big success with one drug in particular. It's called Sovaldi. And it actually bought that drug rather than developing it itself. Um, it, had, it has a lot of its own development as well. But Gilead actually bought Sovaldi. And Sovaldi's just pretty much made them all their revenue from last year with $32 billion. And what does it do? Uh, it's a hepatitis C drug. So okay. Is. Um, yeah, so biotech can be incredible. And the US has shown that biotech has real, real potential to turn into companies that are competing in terms of size, in terms of revenue, in terms of turnover, profits, everything with the big pharma. Okay, but I mean, I think you wrote last week that uh, big pharma... Mm-hmm. So Glaxo, AstraZeneca, I mean, they were big winners out, out yeah, of yeah, Brexit. Are, yeah. I mean, when I say big winners, big share price winners. Yeah, I mean, share we... prices has done well for all big pharma. And I guess people like them because they're defensive. Defensive. Biotech yeah. took a bit of a beating. Yeah, biotech has. It's um, It has been tough. and I, But I think a lot of that is they're, they're, they're risky and uh, people aren't wanting risk in, in this environment. Um, mm. And they're, they're, always, they're always going to be risky until they sort of reach that level. And we were talking... It was the last week or two weeks ago about Sacassia, which was just a prime example of how risky they these uh, companies are. They failed; share price dropped sixty eight percent just on one drug drug trial failing, and people don't want that in this market. But what my opinion is is that Brexit or no Brexit, these companies are doing extraordinary things with science. The science is incredible, and without the funding, they don't, they don't get a huge per company. They don't get a huge amount of funding. It's not going to make a big amount of difference in the in the grand scheme of things. In terms of government funding, government well, yeah. EU funding, it's not going to make a big difference in the grand scheme of things. So I I don't have any real concerns, long term concerns about the companies um, in the life sciences market. My my view on the universities is it's a bit more negative. I think for the universities, I mean, I guess that could have a knock on effect long term as yeah, they, yeah. they they struggle to you know we won't necessarily produce as many scientists mm. or scientists. There, there mm. must be some effects yeah. further down the track, but yeah. for now these companies are so I guess reasonably well funded. Yeah, well, that's the other thing as well. Um, the companies that I've picked out in this feature are the ones um, that have they have a good following of institutional investors who are really helping them helping them with that funding. And yeah, so that's how I've sort of broken this broken this analysis down because one of the big problems in the UK, which is what I think um, and what a lot of people have spoken about when I've spoken to experts in the industry, they've said that UK investors just don't really get it. They don't really understand the products. The products are very difficult to understand. I mean, well, I don't get it. And, and even the name, it's not like I don't know. You know, everyone knows what a T-shirt is. You don't know what Sovaldi is. So, well, I guess, I guess this is one of the reasons. So, Harriet uh, Russell, who was your predecessor yeah. in, in covering this sector, mm. we, we did this this whole thing about actually understanding how mm-hmm. drug discovery for particular treatment areas, whether it be cancer or Alzheimer's mm-hmm. or, or whatever it may be, works. Mm-hmm. And she won a, she won an award for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, 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 that journalism award series for that. of features is great. Indeed, but I guess that's the thing. It's hard to understand. Yeah. Um, but I really like this feature because you've boiled it down to some really kind of basic. Met, yeah, financial yeah. metrics. It's just trying to make which... it a bit more tangible from for the the average investor whose mind is maybe more on the financial aspect of things. Biotechs yeah. aren't. They, there's not. There aren't really very many financial metrics to go by. But these are good ones. I like these. So you're talking about you know CEOs not taking huge amounts of pay. Yep. Directors who have a big uh, stake in the companies that they they're running. Yeah. I mean these are good things. So yeah, you know where they're either incentivized when they're not burning through cash in a, in a you know, so you've you've compared R and D spending to the cash they have, which I think gives you an idea of how how long they have essentially before they have to come back to market yeah, for more yeah. money. So you know, and these are really interesting metrics that really mm. give us a handle on it. Mm-hmm. And I know you had, you produced an enormous spreadsheet for yeah, this. Yeah, plenty of data in there, which I sent back to you and said, <laughs> <Yeah>. "Simplify." <laughs> 
But yeah, okay. So let's let's talk a couple about a couple of the companies because there's yeah, how many did you identify? Well, I've got ten new hopefuls in there, and then the eleventh being Abcam, which is uh, which we like. We like, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about a couple of the ten. Yeah, pick out your favourites. Well, I think we'll start with number one, which was 4D Pharma. And like you said, that's a metric that, um, well, the the thing that I liked about it was the fact that the directors all have money in mm-hmm. the company, which definitely seems to give a little bit of, uh, a little bit more confidence. Um, they've got their chairman, their chief science officer and their chief executive all with 10% shareholding. They're not paying themselves very much at all. And they were the one company, the one biotech company, which has had a meteoric share price rise since it listed for no real obvious reason they don't have money they're not making any money they've not got any drugs actually on the market what, the what, are, what are they developing they are developing it's called biotherapeutics that's the that's the area that they're involved in and it's sort of taking live bacterium and turning them into drugs it's a very novel concept which is obviously it's not easy to understand how you can turn something that is often thought of as a negative thing into a into potential life-saving drug but they're involved in lots of different areas. They're using that science in lots of different areas of medicine. And it does have the potential to go into lots of different areas. They've got this platform. I kind of picture it as literally like a little box. And this box like churns out different ideas. So obviously you've got a lot more to it than that. But that's in general what 4D Pharma does. It's got this technology. That's the technology side of things. And then it turns out biological creations which can be then turned into drugs. How, does it, how is it planning to make its money? with the commercialization of those drugs whether it be actually whether they actually take it take those drugs all the way to commercialization and actually sell them i'm not sure they're still very early stage or whether they partner partner them off sell them to big pharma sell them to big biotech that that that's that'll be the game plan in the long term but I mean, yeah, it's in making drugs i guess that's an interesting point that some of the bigger pharma groups the drug companies mm-hmm. uh, rather than the biotechs yeah. i think you make that distinction in the feature yeah they they've probably scaled back this side this this more research side yeah, of things, up, yeah. and and actually these companies are essentially filling that void. Mm. And and if they come up with something quite interesting, mm. then they're going to get snapped up. Yeah, and that's why I think the industry is amazing because big farms already got commercial commercial platforms out there. They're already selling. But what the problem is with big farmers, they're not fast enough. They're not quick enough in developing new products to keep up with how fast the science is moving and that's what these small biotechs can do they are so quick at getting off the mark because they don't have to go through all the same company Bureauc- big bureaucracy big, yeah big yeah, companies yeah. is obviously going we to know stay. it only too well here in the uh, <laughs> um, the ft group and that's what biotech especially small biotech do really really well and that's why 4d pharma has maybe been one of the ones that's everyone's loving because they they've got so many potential drugs and if they even sell just one of those, I think Savaldi was bought for nineteen million dollars. It wasn't worth that at the time. It wasn't even selling. It was in. It was still in trials, mm. and that's a big bonus for these companies. Yeah, absolutely. Another area you mentioned, which I really quite, was quite interested in, was like the kind of picks and shovels side of of, uh, of drug development, which is these guys making the antibodies. Yeah. This, this I find really fascinating because mm. this is like this is it's, yeah I say it's like it's like the picks and shovels equivalent in the oil industry you know yeah yeah you don't buy the actual developer you buy the guys you giving the tools. the tools yeah yeah this is fa- this is fascinating yeah and that's why I love Abcamp because they fit into every single part of the industry because they are yeah as you say the ab- antibodies are tools um, that are used in all areas of medicine in treatment in diagnostics in research they're used everywhere. And that's why Abcam has got so it's, it's loved everywhere because it is so useful and mm. it's so easy to understand. It is literally just it's a, it's a catalog of these tools which the universities and the other pharmaceutical companies can go to and buy them. So yeah, and looking for other ones that can sort of 
be the new Abcam, as it were. There are a few that are doing similar type type of things, and Horizon Discovery is one that the IC really, really does like. It's um, another scientific tool company. It's very complicated. <laughs> but long-term outlook is really positive because it, yeah, fits into so many different areas of the industry and they can be selling their products to so many different types of people. And as Abcam gets bigger, it's probably on the lookout for potential acquisition yep. targets as well. So, yep. you know, all of these tool developers mm-hmm. are, are potentially on its radar. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. No, it's a fantastic feature, uh, Megan, a fantastic Thanks. debut. It's too complicated for me to understand. <laughs> well, um, that's the problem. We need to push that away we need to well that's what we're trying to do yeah yeah that's what we're definitely. trying to do i think you're doing yeah. a great job of doing that and you know if you if you really if you are uncomfortable with the science behind it you don't want to go down that route you don't want to be trying to pick winners in, a, in an area you don't understand there's a lot of funds out mm. there that are doing this for yeah. you uh we talk about some of the ip mm. uh, intellectual property groups like imperial innovations now like minds that are doing really interesting mm. things with uh with taking uh, intellectual property at universities and I guess they're probably a little bit more affected by this potential EU uh, funding threat yeah potentially yeah uh, um, but loads of interesting ways to play this mm, I, th- yeah, I, th- definitely. I think it's fascinating I don't think because because of the these wider worries we now have around Brexit that we should we should be ignoring sectors like this no. which are where big 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 returns potentially come Hopefully, from yeah, in the and, yeah and the science is there and that's what I think is such an exciting part there is so much there ready to go all it needs is just a big kick and, and it's, it's going to get going well, maybe the UK will finally get biotech yeah maybe, maybe. excellent thank you Megan thank Sorry. you okay so I mean it's been uh, been another interesting week um, well we obviously haven't talked about it. we've got a Tory leadership election going on in the background which yep. is mad. CVs under scrutiny. We've had the chill court inquiry. Yeah. Lionel Messi got sent to prison. Or not, as the well, case yeah, may be. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a prison sentence. Go home. Go home. Um, it's been a mad week. You can't make it up. You can't. Okay. Let's talk through what else we've got in the magazine before we sign off. We have a stock screen uh, from Algae Hall. It's uh, based on Jim Slater's uh, The Late and Great Jim Slater's Zulu Principle. It's a fantastic stock screen, which uh, has, again delivered a sterling performance. Plenty in the comment section from Dillo, from Bearball, from Nicole the Trader and Simon Thompson helping you make sense of Brexit. And we've got, a, we've, got, we've got four features in this week's magazine. We've got the cover feature. We've got John Barron's investment trust portfolio. We've got Philip's 50 Objects, which continues this week and will for a while yet. And we've obviously got the usual funds and personal finance content, which they will no doubt be talking about on their podcast tomorrow. It's been a busy time and we're struggling to get through it as well. But uh, hopefully this week's issue will help you make some sense of it. Breakthrough Biotech, £4.70 in all good news agents. Uh, and obviously you can subscribe too. So uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Bradley. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Jonas. And we'll be back again next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. 
That's stamps.com. Code program.